0: All right. Hello, and everyone, and welcome to another episode. Um, today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by none other than Carl Coleman uh, from Clary. Um, I'm sure everybody tuning in knows Kyle already, um, unless you've been literally uh, living under a rock. But um, in case you have been living under a rock, um, Kyle, can you introduce yourself to everybody that's um, tuning in today?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Dave. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. My name is Kyle. I lead the marketing team here at Clary. The marketing team is inclusive of, of course, all things marketing, but also our outbound, what we call RevDev, Revenue Development Team, SDR, BDR, whatever you want to call it. We call it RDR, as well as our Revenue Excellence Team, which is enablement, competitive, value engineering, all those sorts of things. So our team at Clary is responsible for both creating and accelerating pipeline for our new logo business as well as for our customer business. And our RevDev team plays an integral part in both of those funnels. So excited to talk about it. Prior to Larry, I spent six years building the SDR team at Looker, a business intelligence company based in Santa Cruz. Started off as just little old me back in 2013, grew the team to about 70 or so people globally. And the company was acquired by Google for $2.5 billion back in 2019. And our outbound team played a heavy hand in making that happen. I think about 40% of our ARR was outbound sourced. So something I'm particularly proud of in making that happen.
0: That's absolutely awesome, and uh, yeah, as a um, a sales development guy myself, I'm I'm really looking. I've you know I've been following your content for years, and um, I'm really really looking forward to to kind of diving into that. Um, As um, our listeners hopefully know already, um, the the theme of this podcast is all around kind of how outbound is changing, um, how we should be redefining it, and any advice around that. Um, And I want to start off just by talking about um, you know the sales funnel concept that we have for sales and marketing teams Um, and one of the things that you know i certainly think has been the issue with sales funnels over the years um, specifically top of the funnel um, is the emphasis on um, quantity over quality uh, in terms of the leads that we're bringing in Um, so yeah would love to, to hear your take on it carl
1: yeah, my, my take on it is just blast as many emails as you can, and I'm sure it's going to be successful. Just <laughs> overwhelm your prospects. That's that's what people respond to is just getting browbeaten over the head with junk. That's what people like. So that, that's my answer. Now, complete opposite. Like Obviously, the buyers expect more these days, and you as a seller have way more information at your fingertips to make use of. Now, of course, it depends if you sell to salespeople or you sell to marketing people, they're probably going to be a bit more active on, let's say, some social channels like LinkedIn than a chief security officer or something like that. So you got to dial it up and down. But it's not impossible to do research on a person, on the personal level, on the persona level so you understand the pains that they're experiencing and how your solution can help solve those pains, or at the account level to know what kind of strategic initiatives the account is pursuing and how your solution can help them achieve that strategic initiative. So you've got to do the research. You have to understand and have a real reason beyond, I see you're the head of marketing at Clary and I thought I'd drop you a note. That's not good enough anymore. There needs to be a real, genuine reason for you reaching out. You need to show that you understand them either at the personal persona or account level. And then you need to tie that pain that they're experiencing back to your solution. And if you can do that, and you can do that succinctly, you know, 50 words, 70 words, somewhere in that neighborhood, that's the key to success these days.
0: Awesome. I love that. Um, Carl, the, the the idea of research comes up a lot on this call, as you can probably imagine. I think more and more people are going more towards personalization. Um, just on a tactical level for the listeners I think one one of the comments that I always get from my certainly from my team is okay it's all well and good uh, the research but like where do I start like what do wh- where should I be researching what should I be doing so I I'm just interested in kind of what tactical advice you, your team are giving to your SDRs in terms of like where to do the research what to be what to be looking for in, in particular if you don't mind
1: It's a great question, Dave, and I'm not going to answer it because there's an important uh, kind of higher order question first, which is who are you reaching out to from a, uh, not a persona standpoint, but from a seniority standpoint. And the way that I think about our, your prospects, our prospects that we reach out to are in two main camps. We think about it as above the power line and below the power line. And it's not to like take anything away from anybody who is quote unquote below the power line. They just don't have decision making authority. And therefore, we need to treat them differently and spend a different amount of time on them. So above the power line, these are the folks who are your decision makers, budget holders. They can actually sign on the, dot- on the dotted line. There are fewer of them at the accounts that you're reaching out to, and therefore you can and should spend more time researching that person and crafting personalized or highly relevant emails or outreach to those that smaller set of people that are above the power line. People that are below the power line typically are gonna be users of your product, sometimes even the power users of your product And there are more of them at the account. You think about individual contributors or frontline managers, There are just more of those types of personas than there is a chief revenue officer or chief marketing officer whatever it may be. And so you need to divide your prospects first, above the line, below the line. Above the line is all about individualized research. Below the line is more about persona-based research. If I'm reaching out below the line to individual account executives, I kind of know what an individual AE is going through day-to-day. I can send a similar version of the same note to 20 different AEs and be pretty sure that I'm going to be close to the bullseye. The same is not true for reaching out to 20 different CMOs at 20 different companies. They've all got different things. And yeah, there's common threads, but they've got different focus areas. And it's up to you to find what their focus area is and go and do it. Now, how do you actually do that research? I mentioned it before. A lot of times people are sharing a lot of this information on social channels. So start there. If your personas are sharing things on LinkedIn, on Twitter, whatever it may be, check them out, follow them, try and engage with their content in some way. If they're not doing that, don't just throw in the towel and say, oh, well, I guess I can't do research. I'm just going to send this crappy template. Like that's not the solution here. The solution there is go to the account level. Look at their press releases. Look at their latest funding round. Look at their public information. If they're a public company, 10K, 10Q, what do you all call it in the UK?
0: Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. When, when they go public, they have to do a quarterly report, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the name's lost on me right now. But, likewise. Um, likewise. Yeah. It's early in the morning for me, so that's why. Um, <laughs> I've got no <laughs> excuse, but anyway, we're here now.
1: <laughs> so, so find those things and you don't have to read the 80-page document of somebody's public uh, quarterly earnings report, but there is a summary page that in three to five bullets, they will tell you what they're focused on. They're focused on uh, an M&A type of transaction, merger acquisition. They're expanding internationally, rolling out a new product line, making a key hire, whatever it may be. Those initiatives are there. And then it's up to you to connect the dots between what that above the power line person is pursuing or what is top of mind for them and what your solution can do. One other little secret that I would, I've had great success with is uh, there's a little search engine. It's called Google. And you can use Google to do this type of research is not rocket science. And something that I really like to do is Google CEO interview Cognizm. And probably I'm going to find some sort of interesting interview that Cognizm CEO has done. And I can then say in my outreach to whoever I'm reaching out to, CRO, CMO, anybody like that, your boss said, your CEO said that this is what's top of mind. Here's how we can help. And that is a killer way to cut through the noise. You've done the research, you've shown that you care, and you're going to make them look good for their boss. So um, there's a million different ways to do this. The, the easy or the shorter answer is you just got to take the time to do the research. Google around, find some things, standardize your process, and just repeat it. The first time you do it, it's going to take a little time. That's okay. Get better at it. It's like building any other muscle. Just keep practicing, keep practicing, and you will become proficient.
0: Awesome car that's amazing um so one thing that i uh, you often talk about um is your SDR team being strategic advisors um or um over appointment setters sorry and i was just wondering like c- can you explain how this approach really helps increase that buyer centricity um, that i think we're talking about here
1: strategic advisors and not just appointment setters. It's a really, really important self-perception that you've got to have. You have to think of yourself this way. Otherwise you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing the function a disservice, and you're probably not going to be approaching the job the right way. So really do think of yourself as a strategic advisor. What does that mean? You can't be a strategic advisor if you don't actually understand your product. And so many onboarding's, uh, onboarding systems or trainings or whatever, skip the product for SDRs or salespeople, and I really don't understand why that is, like you've really got to know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, if you can't give a five-minute demo, then you haven't earned the right to ask for somebody's time to have a strategic conversation with them. So product knowledge, I think, is really, really important. Now, that does not mean that you need to be able to answer every single question about your product. Do not hold yourself to that standard. I'm very intentional when I say be able to give a five-minute demo. If you're at a trade show, you should be able to hold your own and answer kind of higher level questions and and give quick demos of different areas of your product, whatever it may may be, and then hand off the technical questions to an SE who can come and save you. That's certainly the way that I've always operated. So that's number one, really understand your product. Number two, really understand your personas, the metrics that matter to them, how they're spending their time day to day, the challenges, the main challenges that they face. Really understand them. Listen to the things that they listen to. Subscribe to the newsletters that they subscribe to follow the people that they follow. Put yourself in their shoes for real so that you really understand the challenges of the job and you can speak to that eloquently. You can ask the right questions and have meaningful conversations and help guide them to a solution that you know is going to be impactful for them. And then the final thing I'll say is you've really got to understand your own process. You've got to know what processes are going to work for you, how you're going to approach the day. You've got to organize your time. You have to be really intentional with your call blocks. your Uh, social activity, your emails, your personalization efforts, your cleanup, your meeting prep, all those sorts of things, be really intentional with it. If you can, and these are three P words I'm noticing, product, personas, and process. If you can nail all those things, you're going to be in really, really good shape, and you're going to be able to have much more meaningful conversations with your prospects, earn their trust, become that advisor, and help not just set a meeting, but help move that deal through the funnel. I mentioned, Dave, that our Dev team is responsible not just for filling the funnel. We're also responsible for maturing those deals, for engaging the broader buying group, for doing what we can to lend a helping hand in the early stages of a deal. And there's plenty that SDRs can do to help deals move forward, but only if they actually understand what they're selling, who they're selling to, and why it matters.
0: Mm, awesome. I, I, it's really interesting, your the, the conversation around process, because I think when we keep speaking about personalization, um, I mean, my first sales role was actually a, a door-to-door sales role. So I literally learned that the more doors I knocked, the more sales I was going to get. Right? That's the that's your your basic one-on-one principle. So with all this and all this conversation around personalization and and spending time research researching, interesting if you have kind of like a way of explaining how you are marrying up quantity and quality or or whether you think really actually quality, you know, or yeah, quality is so, so important that you'd rather take one meeting and, and, or, or, you know, where, where is that line essentially for you?
1: You, you have to find the line, Dave. And some people, other folks have different opinions about this. I happen to believe that it's not an either, or you have to do a high quantity of high quality work. So you have to find the right, balance. Some people will err completely, completely the other way. And they'll say, oh no, I can send five emails a day and be successful. I I have never seen anybody do that. So I have a bit of skepticism about that. Um, I would say you have to find ways to scale this high quality approach and it doesn't have to be rocket science. I mentioned before that when you first start doing it, yes, it's going to be hard. Anything that's worthwhile is hard and you have to learn how to do it and learn how to do it well. But once you do that, you're going to start to find a few things. Let's go back to the topic of research for a moment. You're going to start to find that you're researching the same five, eight, 10 things about a person or an account every time. You're looking at what is their sales headcount growth been over the last 12 months? When was their last last funding round? What did their CEO say in a recent interview? You go down the list and you're going to have this kind of little cache of things that you're always looking for. And so instead of it taking 30 minutes to find those things, it takes five minutes. To find those things. And then because you're looking for the same things every time, you have this treasure trove of emails you've already written. And a personalized email, an individualized email doesn't necessarily need to be from scratch every single time. If I ever reach out to a CMO who's expanding internationally, and I find a new CMO who's looking at international expansion, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I already have the email written. So yeah, I need to change a, a line or two here and there, but for the most part, it's a copy paste exercise. And so I say all this to say that you're building a library, you're building a muscle for research and you're building a library of outreach and what to say. And you're going to start to figure out what works, what doesn't, and you're going to be able to adjust accordingly. And then instead of sending five emails a day, it's going to go to 10 and then 20 and then 30. And then all of a sudden you're going to be sending 150 personalized emails a week and you're going to be like, holy smokes, how did this happen? And it happens gradually. It doesn't happen overnight. Stay organized. Stay intentional. Work with your team. Catalog all these emails that you're writing. Celebrate successes, and you'll find very easy ways to scale over time.
0: Amazing, Carl. Um, you touched earlier on um, just how you know you actually get your SDRs uh, working the opportunity through, um, and not just you know it's not just first meeting and done. Um, something that actually we've explored at Kongism. Um, and I also listened to a podcast uh, and you said on that podcast that that's actually, you know, SEO shouldn't hand off the baton and then forget that the rest of the race is happening, which is a, a beautiful quote. Um, so I wanted to know with, with that in mind, like how should sales leaders, um, and how you guys, um, I suppose like more, what are you guys using to make sure that the, that the reps are thinking beyond that first meeting? Like how are you incentivizing them? Like what are you recording? Yeah. Like, you know, what, what are you recording for that? Yeah, it's
1: a great question, Dave. And and as is our tradition here, I'm not going to answer the question right away. I'm going to answer a different question. Um, so sorry about that, which is why does this matter? Why does this matter? The buying group is expanding And the latest data I saw is actually a few years old at this point. So I'm sure it's gotten even larger than this. But the latest data I saw from Gartner said that at a 500 person company, the average number of people who are involved in a buying decision is 11 people, 11 people at a 500 person company. Imagine if you're reaching out to an enterprise company, a fortune 500 company, how many stakeholders are going to be in this buying group, The, the number is out of control. And therefore... It's up to you, Mr. or Mrs. SDR, to help understand who's going to play a part in this buying group and what can I do to create a glide path, to grease the wheels, to make sure that they are aware of Clary early so that when this crosses their desk for approvals or for a trial or for a point of proof of concept or whatever, they're already familiar with what we do and I'm helping accelerate the deal and remove some blockers perhaps. And so that's the entire intent of what we are doing. The other thing that we're doing, Dave, is I mentioned before we have this above the line below the line dichotomy. The below the line people are our power users, individual contributors, frontline managers. Those are the overwhelming we sell the sales people and those are the overwhelming number of licenses we sell are to those folks. And so, of course, we want this group of cheerleaders of ICs and frontline managers who can are aware of what Clary does, who are excited to bring on a new sales tool who understand that it's something that's going to help them, who knows that our revenue platform is going to fundamentally transform the way that they're running revenue and can kind of create this band of folks who then go above the line and say to the CRO, we want this. Like that is a really powerful thing when it's not just us selling to the CRO, but it's an internal group of people selling to the CRO. And it's the SCR's job to do what we call quote unquote walk the halls as if they had a badge at a company's HQ and they're just walking around the office talking to whoever they can talk to, glad handing, you know, kissing babies, doing the whole thing, and just introducing themselves, introducing and what it can do for ICs. So th- that's the role of our RevDev team is to do all of those things, identify the buying group, have meaningful contact with uh, meaningful stakeholders, as well as building this, this group of champions of individual contributors and, and less senior folks at, inside the company. How do we incentivize them? We uh, have various kickers. We run various spiffs. We make sure that they're not just incentivized for qualified meetings; they're also incentivized against the revenue that they close. And then every month, we have different kind of little focus area spiffs that we play based on results that they can get.
0: Okay, can I get a little bit more tactical on that that exact point? Because this comes from the most uh, like selfish position of you know, I believe in what you guys are doing. I suppose I'll tell you know completely honest um, here. We actually did exactly what you did, f- probably for the past five six months, right? We tried we tried it out. We saw really great success for our our bigger companies with our paired SDRs and AEs. We were um, uh, we had essentially incentivized them. Um, we incentivized them to 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 kind of bring in as many people into the conversation as possible. I believe in a simple commission structure, right? And maybe you know maybe that's where the different views are, but. Uh, the simple commission structure that I came up with, unfortunately, the negative was where we, we were essentially valuing each person in that buying decision the same. And so where n- n- the current issue that we, we see is, is perhaps, um, you know, I go and get a VP of uh, RevOps, where, you know, we're obviously, a, um, you know, in the sales and marketing space as well. So I go and get a VP of RevOps, who is an unbelievable above the line um, person for us uh but then also you know and then by valuing those if you then go and get a regional director let's say there's like an italian director who has a couple of people in their team who's you know like we're still valuing those two people the same and that's the current issue that we're facing with like trying to push that and we we also do revenue kickers so yeah I, maybe you can't say tell us it all um but i am interested like you know did Maybe you can you can help me solve 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 my problem for that.
1: I, I wish I could. I mean, what I can say, Dave, is uh, you know I've been running to this problem for the ten years I've been running SDR teams. Not all leads are created equal. Not all opportunities are created equal. You kind of have to grit your teeth and bear it to a certain extent. But what we do is we have different entry criteria for the different segments that we serve. So down market. We want to make sure that we are speaking to somebody who has a VP or a greater title. You know, if it's a smaller company, it's a little bit easier to get the attention of a VP level person. They're typically going to be a little bit earlier in career anyway. And so we, we want to get uh, at least in front of that person. Up market, much harder to get in front of a C-level person or VP-level person. Um, and so we say, okay, director or, or or above in these certain departments, sales or rev ops, marketing. And, and we go that route. We try and have different entry criteria for different levels of seniority for the different segments that we serve. Is it perfect? No, but it does a pretty good job. And, and so what we're monitoring is not just how much we're filling the funnel. We're also looking at, we create opportunities in what we call stage zero. And we're looking at that stage zero to stage one qualification rate. And this is the most important, well, it's one of the most important things for us is we want to make sure that that S0 to S1, S1 is qualified opportunity. The conversion rate is around 70%. And you might say, well, why not 100%? Like, don't we want all of the early, the, the SDR created opportunities to be qualified? And the answer is no. And the reason for that is because if 100% of your meetings become qualified ops, you're qualifying too much out. You're leaving something on the table. You're not taking enough risk. Um, so, and then, then conversely, if only 20%, of your opportunities are qualified. You're doing something really wrong. You're not qualifying enough. It's not the right persona, whatever it may be. And so 70% has been the sweet spot for us that's given the sales team enough at-bats, that hasn't been a waste of their time, that's found the right balance between quality and quantity. And we're mo- so we're monitoring that conversion rate by rep, so every single one of our uh, RDRs knows what their conversion rate is and we can adjust accordingly. And all of our AEs know what their conversion rate is. So we can do kind of two-way quality control to make sure that RDRs are qualifying and bring the right folks in and AEs are running those
0: early stage deals effectively. Amazing. I actually, I want to reinforce your point uh, or echo that point that you just made around like, you know, you shouldn't have hundred percent because I totally agree. And often when people come to me with advice on their SDR team, like I find that a lot of Companies were overqualifying. You know, when we first, especially if you're a new startup, you probably don't know what your ICP is. You should kind of just be focusing on conversation in general. And even today, literally, Today, I heard a story from one of my team that the A, he booked in a meeting. The A uh, messaged him within 10 minutes of the meeting starting, saying, I don't think this is a good fit. Um, and now it's, uh, you know, the, 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 it's a potential $250,000 deal, right? So, Got you know, that. it's, it, and that's all happened within that 30 minute. Um, that was his initial feeling. And now, and now um, it's this, it's this mess opportunity. So, um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't echo that enough. Um, g- Staying on the same topic for a second, top of funnel, um, you know when like um, an opportunity's progressed, it's progressing well. Like, is there a point where you stop the SDRs from 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 pulling out, or you know, like, what's the like, where do you where do you funnel them then?
1: Yeah. So for and again, this will be different for every company, but for us, it's at what we call stage two. Stage two is when there's solution fit. We understand the, technology, the the technical fit that's required. We have the right stakeholders identified. And from there on, it's a much more traditional sales cycle. Sometimes there's a proof of concept. Sometimes there's not, but there's not as much need for the wrangling, the, the buying group wrangling that the RDR can do in the earlier part of the opportunity lifecycle because we have it all figured out. So we try and involve RDRs from MQL or, or lead to S0 through stage two. And then it's that's where the official handoff happens. Everything un- until there is a pretty usefully
0: blurred line. Awesome. Um, qualification. Um, I'm interested in how you are, um, uh, you've kind of alluded to already with kind of things like job titles, but um I'm interested in how you're, you're kind of overall getting your SDRs um, to, to qualify. Is it the simple BANT system? Um, you know, like what's your position on on BANT, which is probably the most universally used one um, still today?
1: Yeah, I hate BANT <laughs> um, because it's really unnatural for an SDR to ask budget questions, especially if it's an outbound sourced opportunity, Dave. Like it's really presumptuous for a, an outbound meeting to start talking about budget before, like you haven't even earned the, the person's time to, to, to show a demo yet. And you're already trying to qualify on budget. It doesn't make any sense. So like I have found, and I've tried them all. I've tried Bant. I've done, I've done I've done them all over the course of 10 years and I've just never found it to be a, a really helpful filter for SDRs. Instead, what we do is we're entirely focused on pain. Do they have a problem that Clary can solve? Are they? And then, of course, the seniority thing. So do they actually have the juice to move a deal forward? And do they have a pain that we can solve? Pretty simple. And so we're way more about need. The the N, I think, in, in Bant is need. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's the thing that matters most to us. Like need is useful. T for timing is useful. But budget and like authority are really tough questions to ask, especially, again, for an outbound source meeting.
0: Mm. And again, I'm I'm so sorry to keep doing this, but this is just so interesting for me. The the, um, the pain you describe it as pain there when we used to talk about pain because I think that there, there was um we've moved away from band now as well. I think we probably felt the same way as you, uh, but when we used to do band back in. You know, a couple of years ago, um, we were experimenting with it and we, we started talking about pain to the SDRs. Um, one thing that very quickly happened um, was the SDRs kind of they almost were looking for like you know something that was about to kill the company um i don't know you know did you have you ever like i'm hoping other people in the audience might might have felt this but like is there a way that you're kind of um defining that like pain to to the sdrs in a way that makes sense and and also you know you mentioned qualifying out so they're not qualifying out um companies that are good but maybe like you know the person they're speaking to hasn't really defined something super clear
1: it's a, it's a really good question, Dave, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier. The really in-depth understanding of your personas is critical here. You really need to understand what they're actually doing day to day, what their workflows are, what their jobs to be done are, and therefore where they get stuck, where are their pain points individually at the persona level, and then what are the implications for the company? So as an example for Clary, one of our uh, kind of flagship offerings is around forecasting. And if I'm talking to a VP of RevOps about a manual forecasting process that's spreadsheet based, I happen to know that for the most part, she's probably going to be spending time on Sunday evenings, rolling up a forecast in a spreadsheet to deliver that for a forecast call on a Monday. And so that's a painful existence for her. She's losing her Sundays to having to roll up this, this spreadsheet. And then the outcome of that whole exercise is probably not even that accurate. You know, by the time you do a week long spreadsheet roll up at a large company, the data is completely outdated and it's no longer trustworthy. So not only are you losing your Sundays to this process, the information you're delivering is not really that trustworthy. And the forecast that you're making can't actually be used to guide the company, to guide spend, to guide whatever it may be. And so now I have the individual pain at the persona level. I have the company pain of the implications of having a bad forecast. And I can tie those things together and just ask questions around that. Hey, what's your current approach to forecasting? How are you doing this? Are you relying on spreadsheets? How much time does that take you? And I can just wheedle away at those types of questions because I already know the answers. If they don't have a solution for this, I know what it's like because I've studied it. I've heard from other RevOps folks about manual forecasting processes out of their CRM or spreadsheets or BI tool or whatever it may be. And I know how much it sucks. And so I can guide the conversation. I don't, it doesn't have to be a house on fire. We need to immediately put this out problem. It can be a slow burn problem that's killing the person and making them less productive, focusing them on things they don't want to do. And so it's just wheedling away at those pain points and basically showing them that there is a better way to do this. You can get your Sundays back, you can have real-time forecasting capabilities, trustworthy insights to give up to your CRO and CEO, CFO, and you're going to be a hero. And that's the story that we can tell, and that's what we can entice them, how we entice them to take that first meeting.
0: Amazing. Carl, to finish off, I want to finish off with something that I saw on your LinkedIn, um, which I immediately stole and, and sent to my team. But um, you asked your, your followers, if I gave you a million bucks uh, for booking a quality meeting today, how would you make it happen? I want to turn that question back on you, Carl, and uh, see how you would answer it today. So
1: Yeah. Uh, so for us, I'll answer for me. But I, before I do, I'll say it depends on your personas. It depends on the channel that you find to be the most uh, effective for us and, and for me in particular, I believe in an omni-channel approach. Like you can't just sit there and make cold calls all day. You can't just sit there and send emails all day. You can't just sit there on, on LinkedIn all day. You have to do a healthy combination of all because not all your personas are going to answer the phone or respond to an email or are active on social. So you have to do a little bit of a lot of everything in order to be successful. That said, if you were giving me a million bucks to get one meeting today, I would spend the whole day on the phone. Because that is how I can drive the most urgency. That is how I can actually get to no or yes, the fastest. Can I control if people respond to my emails? Not all the time. Can I control if they pick up the phone? Probably not. But I can at least do my best to maximize the number of conversations that I have. And the reason this is a useful uh, exercise, thought exercise for people to do is because you're probably going to find that your answer is a little different from the mix that you're currently doing today. Like some people are a little too, uh, like I think a lot of SDRs are a little too complacent now, are a little too afraid of the phone. And for the most part, I know certain personas are probably have a different answer here, but for the most part, spending time on the phone is the shortcut to success. As long as you understand your personas, you can have good conversations, you're confident on the phone. And the only way to get confident is to practice. Like when I first started, I sucked. I absolutely sucked. But now I can call and talk to anybody about anything because I have done it 10,000 times and that's what it takes. So that'd be my answer. I would look at the prospects who have engaged with my emails or with my social activity and I would create a call down list of those kind of top 25 prospects. And I'd just call them probably three times uh, over the course of the day. And then I'd uh, work in some other folks that I want to call down on Throughout the other, the rest of the day, probably end up making somewhere 150, 200 calls, and I'd get that meeting. I promise you.
0: <laughs> um, Carl, thank you so much for that. I, I couldn't agree more on your last point. Um, you know, I think that the superpower in calling is the fact that so many people are scared of doing it, and that's why it's always going to remain, um, top top tier in terms of our like outreach channels. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you so much. You, your insight is invaluable. Um, Where can people find you, Carl, if they want to, you know, want to see and hear more from you?
1: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Kyle Coleman. So check me out there. That's really the only place I post stuff. I don't do the TikTok stuff. I don't do Twitter because I find it to be something of a cesspool. So LinkedIn, it's positive. People are nice. People are friendly. Uh, So check me out there.
0: Awesome. Um, Thanks again, Carl. And uh, yeah, really appreciate your time today.